Let's just say I put him in a hole and threw away the hole. Welcome to the Suicide Squad cast. This is DC Universe podcast where we discuss the DC Extended Universe movies and TV shows. Yep, we are big fans of all of what DC Comics is doing on the big and the small screen, so we want to make sure that we talk about all of it. So thanks for joining us today, and let's get started. My name is Scott. Yep, and my name is Tim, and we are excited to be here with you this week. Now, guys, due to the holidays, Tim and I wanted to make sure that we kept on delivering weekly content. So starting tonight, we've decided to pre-record a series of episodes devoted to entirely to the reviews of the direct-to-video series of DC animated original movies. And we would like to call these our sort of DCAU retro reviews. But never fear, we will always have future Tim on hand to give you the latest news available the week that we air these episodes. Yep, and uh, with the recent announcement that principal photography has begun on the live-action version of Wonder Woman, we thought it would be only appropriate to begin this series of the DCAU retro reviews with her solo animated film from 2009. Now, I'm going to turn it over to future Tim so you guys can get this week's news before we jump into our review of the movie. Oh, I cannot wait to see what future Tim says. Yes, thank you, Tim and Scott of the past. This is, in fact, Tim of the future, and I want to go ahead and jump right into the news. This past week, we had a lot of different things for Batman v Superman kind of hit, and I want to kind of touch on them rather quickly here. Uh, The first one is we got two new international trailers for Batman v Superman, and one was tailored for the German market, and one was actually tailored for the Japanese market, and these are 30-second TV trailers. Now, the first one is on the German trailer. They actually took Ben Affleck and Henry Cavill's voice and Jeremy Irons as well, and basically replaced their voices with German voice actors. And it's actually pretty jarring. Now, if you actually thought Batman and, and Superman were angry at each other in the English version of these trailers, you need to hear these guys actually scream at each other in German, which actually sounds a lot more menacing. <laughs> so at any rate, uh, you can't really hear what they're saying, but you assume they're the same lines that we saw in the English trailer. Now, actually, in the Japanese version, they kept the dialogue with the original actors. And one thing that really jumped out in here is we actually got some new dialogue for Ben Affleck as Bruce Wayne. And there was a spot there where I think he's talking to Jeremy Irons, uh, Alfred, and he says, this may be the only thing I do that matters. Now, that's something we didn't see in a previous trailer. Now, these spots are very, you know, they're much shorter than we saw from the original two and a half minute trailers that came out for uh, trailer number one, trailer number two. But uh, there's a couple really small minor new scenes that we saw in this as well. Uh, The first one is we we see we see Batman sliding to a stop on the ground after he's been presumably kind of knocked down or knocked back by Superman. And uh, so this is kind of a, uh, an opportunity where we actually see Batman get beat down a little bit. And then the second one is we have a scene where Superman just arrives basically on a scene coming in very fast, basically like a boss. And as he comes in, he comes to an abrupt stop and dust is flying up. So it's it's a pretty cool looking scene of Superman. So um, those are two new things that we did not see in the previous trailers. So anyway, just a couple little 
little small things there, a little bit of new dialogue. So if you haven't seen them, uh, search them out. Uh, the German TV spot trailer and the Japanese TV spot trailer. Now, the next little piece of news that we get on Batman v Superman is we think we may have the actual runtime for the movie identified now. Now, this is also in Germany as well. Uh, they actually have pre-orders on sale for the Batman v Superman uh, showing in March. And they, on the website, advertise that the runtime for the movie is going to be 151 minutes, which works out to two hours and 31 minutes. Now, this is about what I was hoping for in terms of runtime for the movie. Um, you can get an awful lot packed into two and a half hours worth of movie. Now, kind of going back to Man of Steel, this is actually going to be eight minutes longer than what Man of Steel was. So just to kind of give you an idea how long this movie is going to be. So um, now this isn't confirmed or anything by Warner Brothers or any other site. Uh, this is at least what the, the movie site is claiming this to be, but it's it's probably the correct runtime. I wouldn't expect uh, that there would be any difference between the German version and the American version of this. So anyway, so it looks like I think we have a runtime time, 151 minutes, which is pretty cool. Now, Umberto Gonzalez from Heroic Hollywood uh, is saying that he heard that uh, they have been screening Batman v Superman with general audience members uh, over in LA, and they brought in some people kind of randomly, uh, had them sign an NDA, and they allowed them to do a, a screening of the movie. And the response that uh, apparently Warner Brothers is getting is extremely enthusiastic. Everybody was clamoring uh, for more, and were applauding the film at the end. So anyway, just some little piece of news here. Uh, I don't know what we can really make of it, but uh, at least uh, it's indicating that there's a very good, strong, positive reaction to the film. Uh, I wish I would have been one of those people that could have seen it. Now, Latino Review is reporting that they actually know which Justice League members are going to be appearing in Batman v Superman. Now, most of these names we've already kind of heard up to this point, or at least I think all of them we've actually heard up to this point, but they give maybe a few more specific details. So these are, I would consider them kind of mild spoilers. So if you're adverse to this kind of information, then you might want to just kind of pass through this, but I'll go ahead and run through it. Uh, as to no surprise, um, obviously Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman are going to appear in the film. Now, apparently uh, Aquaman will be brought in as well. And what they're indicating in this article is that he's actually going to be kind of introduced into the movie basically due to Lex Luthor. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, probably not really too surprising. We also are hearing, I guess, from this that Ray Fisher, who is playing Cyborg, Vic Stone, is actually going to make a small appearance in this film. He's actually going to be introduced and likely to be as Victor Stone. And then lastly, what they're hearing is that The Flash will be making an appearance in the film, but it'll be a very minor appearance in terms of like, he'll pretty much be shown as just a blur. And so we've kind of heard that in the past anyway. Now, um, they did say that there was a second scene where Barry Allen was going to be in this film, and they're hearing that maybe the scene is going to be cut. Uh, so we'll see. Now, what you did not hear is you did not hear anything about Green Lantern. And as uh, Latino Reviews reporting is that Green Lantern will not be making any kind of appearance or cameo in this film, which is totally fine by me if this is true. I, you know, I'm not in a rush to see every single uh, Justice League member brought in. And I would expect, uh, you know, the rumor being that Justice League is going to really going to deal with more of an intergalactic threat with Darkseid. Um, that would probably be where Green Lantern would actually come into play, which is totally fine with me. I, I don't need to see him in BVS. Uh, let's, let's save some of that stuff for Justice League. So anyway, take this for what it is. There are rumors. A lot of the stuff, you know, could very well be 
be debunked or a lot of the stuff could very well change. You know, there, I'm sure there's lots of little secrets that um, the filmmakers have in store for us that nobody has really kind of let out at this point. So anyway, take it for what it is. Uh, small, minor little rumors here. Now, moving on, Umberto Gonzalez from Heroic Hollywood has uh, some information that he thinks he's found out about what Robin we will see in Batman v Superman, or at least the extent of what uh, Robin will play in this film. Now, again, this uh, has deals with spoilers. So if you were adverse to this, uh, you might want to skip this. And uh, I'll just kind of touch on it. I mean, to me, it's nothing that incredibly major, uh, but uh, I think it's kind of worth noting because there's been a lot of little speculation and rumors kind of floating along these lines. So it seems to be consistent with it. Now, what Umberto is hearing is that Carrie Kelly, who we know as the female Robin from Dark Knight Returns, is actually not going to be in this film. And we had heard that Jenna Malone was attached to the film. And so there was a lot of speculation that, you know, she had dyed her hair red at one point, you know, that she might be playing Carrie Kelly. Uh, But what Umberto is hearing is that the role she'll actually be playing uh, will be Barbara Gordon. And we had actually heard this through some other reports before. Now, when we go to that one suit that we see with the writing scrawled across, basically taunting Batman in the Batcave, it seemed to be a burnt up Robin suit. Uh, What he's hearing is that this is actually going to involve the second Robin that Batman had dealt with, and that second Robin being Jason Todd. And uh, there's no mention about uh, Dick Grayson being involved uh, with that particular suit at all. And what he's also hearing is that Dick Grayson will actually not appear in this film, but he may be mentioned in conversation, but talked about in passing. So at any rate, uh, it appears that the Robin suit in this film is going to be dealing with Jason Todd. So we'll kind of see where that goes from here. Uh, Hopefully the Dick Grayson thing, I mean, I've speculated and I'm sure others have as well that uh, I think Dick Grayson is going to be somehow involved in Suicide Squad. And uh, my rationale on this is that once Batman finds out that the government's basically getting involved in in freeing up these people that he's worked hard to kind of put away, you know, he's going to want to know what the heck is going on and he's going to send one of his operatives in there. And so I've always kind of speculated that um, that Dick Grayson is working undercover somehow to trying to figure out what's going on with the Suicide Squad. But we'll see if that plays out. Now, another little piece of news here coming out from Umberto Gonzalez of Heroic Hollywood is that he has information on what he understands the closing sequence of Batman v Superman to be. And so we're not talking about the actual film itself. We're actually talking about the credit sequence. And uh, we know uh, quite famously, Marvel has um, kind of built upon the use of like an after credit scene. You know, that's obviously been done in the past, but they've they've actually used it to kind of promote their next film or maybe just have a little kind of uh, outtake. Well, DC really hasn't done that up to this point, And they're just really not interested in trying to do the same thing. And so it sounds like what they're going to do with Batman v Superman is actually show a montage kind of leading up or maybe bridging the gap from where Batman v Superman ends. And it's going to kind of lead up to where presumably Justice League would begin. And I think this is awesome. If that was probably one of my favorite sequences of the entire Watchmen film was the opening sequence showing the Minutemen. And it was literally just a montage showing one character after another and just showing a very brief scene, just kind of building up the story about, you know, basically how the Minutemen got together and then basically what led to their downfall and, you know, how they kind of fell apart. And I think this is this is fantastic. If this is what we're going to get, this to me is going to blow away uh, any kind of like post credit scene that you would have, uh, I think, from, you know, what Marvel's done very successfully for their films. To me, this may be showing different montages where you kind of see where Batman goes and Superman goes after this film and maybe they meet up with maybe, you know, Ray Fisher's cyborg or maybe they get together and have a meeting with Aquaman or however they might show it. Uh, You know, maybe they engage with the Flash, but it's all kind of building up the story that, you know, now they're actually coming together as a Justice League. And uh, I think this is fantastic. I if this is true, I think this is going to be something really special and a great way to kind of end the film and just really give you get you get a lot of anticipation for where Justice League is going to 
going to go. So yeah. So the rumor is uh, it'll be a closing montage, uh, which will just show a bunch of sequences. And uh, so to me, I think it'll be something purely built on kind of progressing a story with a lot of different bits of information. So something to really look forward to. I hope uh, Gonzalez is right on this because I, I think this would be a fantastic way to kind of end a film. All right. Now we talked at great length last week about these uh, hot toys, uh, very accurate, highly detailed statues that are available for Batman v Superman. And we talked about there's a Batmobile, there's I think even a Bat Signal, there's a Batman figure, um, the two or three different incarnations of him, you know, his regular outfit, his desert outfit, and as well as his armored outfit. And then there's also Superman. And then uh, we finally got some information about how much this will cost. Now you can pre-order these things from Sideshow Collectibles. And if you pre-order the Batman and Superman figurines, and this is just the Batman in his regular suit, you will actually get as a bonus the Batman tech cowl. So you would get these two figures plus the accessory, and it's only going to cost you $445. So if you pre-order it. So um, just as suspected, uh, these are very much out of my price range, uh, something I really can't afford, but uh, I'm sure some of you out there will. But these things are just phenomenal. If you haven't seen them yet, just go ahead and Google it. Hot Toys, Batman, and Superman figures. Uh, These things are really incredible looking, and um, I'm sure there's going to be some very happy collectors out there to get their hands on these. So anyway, just to let you know, they're available for pre-order. Now, moving on to Wonder Woman, uh, just a little bit of news here. Now, Chris Pine, who is actually busy filming right now with uh, Gal Gadot and Patty Jenkins, a director over in London, or at least in the UK at various different locations right now, he actually uh, provided, or he was actually part of an interview um, that was put into Total Film Magazine. And uh, not a whole lot was said here, but uh, there's basically one good quote to kind of give you a little more insight into, you know, what he thinks of Patty Jenkins and, and Gal Gadot. And I'll just go ahead and kind of read that off real quick. And, you know, he said that really um, the movie is just going to be an effing blast that he's really kind of pumped up about it. And he said, you know, Patty Jenkins has a real tremendous sense of story and that he just couldn't be happier in supporting Gal Gadot and what, you know, is going to be the first female driven superhero film. And he goes on to say that, you know, in this world today, that there's been so many different male driven, you know, everything and uh, whether it be superhero or action films, etc. And he goes on to say, look, it's really it's finally time to see how wonderful the world can be if we get a really strong, beautiful, intelligent woman kicking some major butt. So anyway, uh, nothing really significant there, but it's it's kind of good to hear uh, some stuff coming from Chris Pine on this. So really can't wait to see um, some more stuff here shortly, but been a little quiet lately. It's probably just the time of the year. Um, I expect with the holidays that they aren't doing a whole lot on the film right now, um, or at least kind of being kind of low key with it. But so a little bit of Wonder Woman news. Uh, moving on, Chris Pine was also interviewed by, I think it's a Spanish entertainment site called uh, El Multicena, and it's basically just more of him kind of talking about the film, and he goes on to say a few things that are pretty noteworthy here. Chris goes on to say that Patty Jenkins' direction on the film is just masterful, and that she has this great knowledge of the historical period in which they are in, which, you know, he reveals and acknowledges that as the First World War, and that, you know, they're taking place actually on the English soil at the time. And he says, you know, Patty Jenkins is doing a great job and developing a story that will surprise fans. So, so not much there, but um, I can't wait to see what he considers to be a big surprise to fans because, um, I mean, I think just in general, there's going to be so much um, unique stuff that we haven't really seen with Wonder Woman, uh, especially being in World War One period. Now, moving on to some Supergirl news. Now, executive producer Ali Adler has hinted that there is going to be more female characters, specifically a female superhero or two that are going to be introduced into the Supergirl show. Now, um, she doesn't really give any details. She's, you know, being very cagey about it and very, you know, protective of the details. But uh, it kind of makes me think, I think Scott last week had mentioned that, you know, he's hoping to see Miss Martian, you know, now that we know that Martian Manhunter is part of the series, a very integral part 
of it. Uh, I think that's a very good possibility. I think that would be a great character to add. A uh, very fun character, um, especially made popular in uh, Young Justice. And uh, I can't wait till we see season three of that, hopefully. But anyway, so just a little bit of news there. Uh, more Supergirl news. Andrew Kreisberg, one of the showrunners for Supergirl, was actually appearing on Fat Man on Batman, the Kevin Smith podcast. And he revealed that they've got a couple more villains coming up. And one of them that he said is going to be Toy Man, which we presume will be uh, Wynn's father, who's currently in jail. Um, the other one he revealed will actually be Bizarro. So it looks like we're going to be getting some kind of um, Bizarro type character on Supergirl, which I think will be a lot of fun. So it would be really fun to see if we actually get Melissa Benoist to actually play uh, herself as Bizarro. So if you guys have not been watching Supergirl, you need to pick this thing up. This show has just gotten so much better uh, as time has gone on. I mean, I, I enjoy the show from the start, but it's really got all the kind of fun and um, and really the love for the source material that The Flash has. And uh, it's just a great show. Um, if you haven't, if you kind of passed on it at first, I would suggest jump in there, give it another shot. I, I think it's there's going to be a lot of really fun things happening on that show um, that have already happened. Uh, obviously, the big reveal of Martian Manhunter. You know, uh, most of us have been asking, you know, when are we going to see, you know, Martian Manhunter in the big screen? Well, we actually get to see him right now. And, and it just it looks phenomenal how they've been portraying him so far. So can't wait to see where that goes. Now, moving on to DC's Legends of Tomorrow, uh, they debuted another one minute trailer. And this one is very heavily Vandal Savage uh, focused. And this thing just continues to look like to be a lot of fun. Uh, the special effects look really good. Just the the, the variety of characters. Um, you know, you've got a bunch of heroes. You've got a bunch of uh, anti-heroes. You've got the villains together. And it looks like there's just going to be a lot of really fun interactions here. So um, this is another show that I really cannot wait to see, uh, especially the fact that it's going to really tie into Arrow and the Flash as well. Uh, but anyway, this trailer is, is very is very cool. The whole point of the trailer is uh, really kind of focusing on Vandal Savage. So if you haven't seen that, jump onto YouTube and, and search that thing out. This thing looks really great. Now, it's kind of moving on to Arrow, just a little bit of Stephen Amell news. Uh, Stephen Amell actually won the WWE Slammy Award for Celebrity Moment of the Year. Now, as you guys know, uh, Stephen Amell was kind of going back and forth over the summer with Stardust, one of the characters in WWE, and they actually battled each other. We'll call it battled. Um, they actually uh, did a battle scene together, basically, in the ring. And uh, this is one where I think, actually, Stephen Amell won this one. He basically came out as a victor against a Stardust, and apparently he actually won the uh, award here for Celebrity Moment of the Year. So uh, good for you, Stephen Amell. Um, now, just stay back, focused on Arrow. We don't need you getting your butt kicked in the WWE ring here at any point. Now, uh, I want to give a little public service announcement here uh, to give um, the listeners here kind of an update on when a lot of the DC TV shows are going to be coming back. As we know, most of them right now, uh, I think actually all of them are on mid-season break right now. So um, I'm just going to go ahead and run through these. Supergirl is actually going to be appearing back very quickly here. Come January 4th, she'll be starting the second half of her first season. So uh, that, of course, is on CBS. You might want to make sure you tune in for that, as I've been suggesting. Now, iZombie is going to be starting back on part two of the second season, and that's going to be premiering on January 12th on the CW. Now, moving on, we actually are going to get The Flash coming back January 19th, and that also is on CW. And then the, the very next day, we get Arrow. And then lastly, we get the premiere of DC's Legends of Tomorrow. That's going to be on January 21st. So we got the return of Flash and Arrow and actually the beginning of DC's Legends of Tomorrow. So pretty exciting. And then lastly, uh, Lucifer is actually going to be debuting on Fox on January 25th. So mark your calendar for that. And oh, and last thing, uh, Gotham uh, is taking a pretty long break here. They're actually going to be starting back up February 29th. So if you have not gotten caught up on Gotham, uh, you got a little bit of time to do it. So uh, that'll be coming back February 29th. All right. Uh, that's DC TV, guys. So that's a little 15 to 
20 minute news update and I want to go ahead and send it back over to Tim and Scott of the past as uh, as those guys actually review the animated film Wonder Woman. See you guys. Thanks for that news update, future Tim. Yeah, thanks, future Tim. That was awesome, as usual. <laughs> okay, so let's get started talking about this movie. Yep. I mean, I kind of wanted to start off by just kind of giving some, you know, production notes, just some sort of, you know, reminders about what this movie was. Um, it was directed by Lauren Montgomery, which is a name you might not know off the top of your head, but if you have been a fan of these animated direct-to-video movies for the last, what, how many, six, seven years? Yeah, about seven years, I think now. I think seven years now. Yeah, her name is keeps on coming up. Uh, the Wonder Woman movie was actually her first solo directing job on this series of films, uh, but she had been involved earlier as a director of the second act of their first release, Superman Doomsday. And I have to admit that when her name would pop up as a director of these animated movies, I could almost always tell you those were going to be my favorites. (laughs) Because she always did such a great job of animating action. It was always such a fluid motion in her action. Yeah, and that's one thing I didn't realize. I I didn't realize there were actually two different directors for or Superman Doomsday? There was actually three. Was there three? Wow, okay. Yeah, there were three acts uh, directed by three different directors because Bruce Tim, Lauren Montgomery, and I think Jay Olivia, but I'm pulling that out of my hat. Okay. But, but I know Lauren Montgomery and Bruce Tim directed two of the three acts. Gotcha. Speaking of which, Bruce Tim, this was during his reign of producing <laughs> these animated films right off the heels of the sort of the swan song of the DC animated universe after Justice League Unlimited right. left the airwaves. Yeah. So this is actually a story that was put together by Gail Simone and Michael Jelinek, and it is actually was scripted then by Michael Jelinek based on that uh, plot. And then we had Carrie Russell in this film as Wonder Woman, Nathan Fillion as Steve Trevor, which was just inspired casting. Yeah, that was great. Uh, Alfred Molina as Ares, hot off the heels of his appearance in Spider-Man 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rosario Dawson as Artemis, Oliver Platt as Hades, and we'll talk about Hades later yeah. on, and Virginia Madsen as Hippolyta. Yep. Well, and then the music is by Christopher Drake. And boy, I'll tell you what, once I heard this, when we actually get into the film, the opening sequence that was put together by Drake is just phenomenal. Oh, it's amazing. And just as a, just as a little back in the day, this was released on March 3rd, 2009. It was the fourth of these direct-to-video movies, which now they've released. Uh, Bad Blood is actually going to be their 25th release. Uh, It's rated PG-13, which we'll discuss in length later. Mm-hmm. Um, I was surprised to realize it was actually number five on the DVD sales chart that week. Hmm. Uh, I don't remember it being that popular when it first came out, but apparently I was wrong. And it currently holds an 86% on Rotten Tomatoes. Not too shabby. Not too shabby. Now, Tim, you probably know a little bit about where this story, you know, kind of originated from. Well, yeah, as I've talked before, I'm a big fan of the George Perez, you know, original run back in the late 80s, 1987, I think specifically. And this was based pretty loosely on his, his arc a story arc called Gods and Mortals. And uh, like I said, that was back in 1987. And if you're interested, on August 11th of this year, they released a hardcover edition of Gods and Mortals that comes with the Blu-ray and the DVD, plus digital copies for you to get the novel, the graphic novel on Comixology and a digital copy of the film. So I actually own this edition and I can highly recommend it. I mean, you get a lot of bang for your buck. Yeah, and one of the last things we'll say on this before we kind of get into it. Now, now I don't know if you knew this, Scott, but apparently 
Apparently, Bruce Tim said that there were a lot of different action scenes that had to be edited out due to the uh, MPAA initially giving it an R rating. Yeah, I heard this story. I forgot how long ago, but I could believe it. Yeah. I could go back and watch this movie. And actually, now that you watch the movie knowing that, you see scenes where you're like, hmm, <laughs> there's probably a trim here. That must have been there. pretty close. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into the movie here. Now, this was, you know, as I mentioned uh, just moments ago, the music right away just hooked me. And it's the opening sequence and the logos. And it just had this great opening feel to it. It just it felt a lot more cinematic to me than I expected an animated film to feel. Oh, yeah. Well, I just this was the fourth film and the previous three, Superman, Doomsday, New Frontier and Gotham Knight. You know, they just kind of felt like normal animated releases. But yeah. This one was the first one that really felt like a feature that just yeah. happened to be animated. Yeah, it really did. It really did. It, it, and, and you know, once you uh, actually get in this movie, you realize it really is a, a very strong, self-contained story. Yeah. Now, what about that opening battle sequence? I swear as I watched that, I totally got a 300 vibe. Oh, completely. Off I mean, the fight scene. Yeah, completely. I mean, this is where, you know, it starts off, it looks like it's ancient Greece. And uh, at first I thought it was the actual island. Then I realized that this was actually, you know, even prior to the, the creation of uh, Themyscira. And it actually, like you said, it just goes right into it. You're immediately thrown into this battle and you see the Amazonian women fighting a bunch of uh, men warriors as well as some other, you know, incarnations of some sort. Well, and you get these big mythological creatures. Yeah. And, and it's just, it's like for a Greek mythology nut like me, it was just like, they just opened the the, the toy chest. It was like, if it's in, the, I mean, there was Pegasus yeah. and Harpies and oh, I couldn't even name everything I was seeing. Yeah. No, it was, it was, it was awesome. And it, and it just jumped right into it. And, and there's specifically a scene where you see the Amazonian women just shoot a bunch of arrows right up into the air. And it's, it, it was like it was taken straight from 300. You just saw the sea of arrows coming down from the sky. And everyone is just getting mowed down. Yeah. It's, it's, it's brutal. I think that's the word that comes to mind throughout the battle sequences in this movie is this was brutal action for an animated movie. Yeah. It was a bit jarring because, you, you know, you really are kind of expecting, you know, that this is going to be a lot more kind of skewed maybe towards a younger audience. And, and it's a younger audience. It's just not that young. <laughs> it's, a, it's like a it's like a mid to late teens audience. Yeah, I mean this this is this is the opening scene of a movie that reminds me why it bugs me every time Target puts these movies in the kids and family section. Right. Because they're not. Yeah. No, th this is a movie that is made for someone mm, like me. Yeah. Like my age. This is not for children, and they don't intend it to be. Yeah. Well, Scott, now when you saw the fighting, who did you think the main character was at first? Well, I mean, I thought it was Diana. I mean, she's got the yep. bracelet, she's got the tiara, she's got the lasso. I mean, it it totally convinced me, and I think that was done on, in, on purpose to right. think, oh, okay, here's Wonder Woman. Yeah. Until I real until they started talking, I realized, oh, that's her mom. Yeah. Oh, okay, that's Hippolyta. Mm -hmm. Never mind. Yeah. But totally had me fooled. Yeah. And I like uh, they you know they cut away from the main action from Hippolyta, but they also moved over to Persephone and uh, Alexa, and they're they're part of this different battle, and they really build up um, the character traits of each of these these women very quickly here. Yeah, because you get Persephone, you get Alexa, and you get Artemis. And Artemis as well, yes. And you know who these women are. 
Right, right. And uh, I don't know if you saw it, but uh, if you remember the Michael Turner run from the Batman Superman series. Yes. Now, Artemis looked very much like Michael Turner's art. I don't know if that... You know what? You you're that. right. Yeah. I, I, didn't, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and, th- and this and this feel, and the, and this battle kind of feels reminiscent of some of the, some of the fighting you see in that arc, in that Supergirl arc as well. Oh, yeah, very much so. I mean, it, it, it seemed like it was just pulled straight from it at first. You know, you basically um, just replaced, I think it was Supergirl with uh, Diana, if I remember right. But, but yeah, it, it looked like it was pulled straight from that uh, that story arc. So, but yeah, I love this part. You know, they established right away that Alexa just was not a warrior princess. You know, she was not a warrior. No, she was she was she was a bookworm. She's a bookworm, and uh, a lot of us could probably relate to that. But yeah, she was just not a warrior, and and uh, she was actually kind of causing more trouble for her. I guess we can call them sisters. Yeah, her sisters. Yeah, and uh, it actually led to Persephone actually getting kind of a, a war wound across her right eye. Oh yeah, I mean she 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 pays for Alexa's. You know, it's so weird. I never know what to consider it cowardice. Mm-hmm. I mean, because it just it just seems unfair to Alexa to put her in a situation that this is not her thing. Yeah. But yet, when you're on the battlefield, you kind of ha- I guess it's like you have to step up, or the people around you will suffer. And Persephone suffers for Alexa's unwillingness to uh, I don't fight yeah. in this battle. Well, she had a uh, was it a creature or a man? I can't remember, but. Uh, one of the enemies was charging at her and she ducked down and uh, and because she ducked down the sword went right into Persephone's uh, face. Yeah, it was, it, it was it, yeah, it didn't kill her but it, it gave a, obviously a, a scar that'll be with her for the rest of her life, yeah. And once again, and I think it sets up and we'll talk about this later in the film but it just sets up such a wonderful arc about being who you are mm-hmm. throughout this story. I feel like several characters have to learn their true selves and accept who they and, and getting other people to accept Accept who they are. And I feel like for Persephone, for Alexa, for Artemis, later on for Diana, it all starts in this opening scene, which could have just been a bloody brawl, but there's enough character going on in here that it's amazing how much this opening scene carries through the rest of the movie. Well, and, and that's great, too, because, you know, obviously, so uh, Artemis and Persephone, obviously, their best characters are as warriors. And Alexa is obviously, she's not a warrior. She's a bookworm. She, that ends up paying off later in this epic. Oh, yeah, definitely. Now, you know, once again, and you just, I could just go on and on, but it's like in this opening scene, you just established that this is a PG-13 movie and you're going to get PG-13. Yeah. I mean, heads are flying <laughs> off of bodies in this scene. Yeah. Hippolyta and Ares are openly talking about, you know, a little extracurricular activity yeah. that they have. And I was not prepared for this in an animated film. I'm going <laughs> to be honest for you. I mean, I wasn't shocked. I actually kind of enjoyed it, but there was a shock factor of, wow, okay, they went there. Yeah. I mean, what what, what, what was your reaction to it? I mean, did you were you shocked by that or were you pleased by it or were you just kind of like, OK? Well, I mean, I'm OK with it. Obviously, it's um, deal with the subject matter completely fine. I'm an adult. So uh, but it, it, it is a little surprising because, like I said earlier, you know, you're you're seeing this as an animated film and you think it's going to skew more towards a, uh, a much younger audience. And it, it clearly isn't, you know, so it's it's almost like you see the cartoons nowadays, like Family Guy and some of the other shows, you know, definitely geared towards, a, you know, a much older audience. And, and I think that's what 
we see DC actually going forward with these animated films. Yeah, definitely. Now, it's really interesting because it launches straight into a, a great origin of where Paradise Island came from that was kind of a gift for, from Hera to the Amazons. It's kind of like a, hey, my, our bad. We're mm-hmm. sorry. Here, here's an island. Yeah. Go off and not be bothered. And then you get a really quick, you know, what, 15, 20 second visual uh, origin of where Diana came from. Mm-hmm. No talking, no exposition done completely through images, but you know what's going on. Yeah. And I feel like even someone who doesn't know Wonder Woman's original origin would get what's going on here. And then you realize, oh, wait a minute, this was all the pre-credit sequence. Yeah. We haven't <laughs> even gotten a title card yet. Yeah, that's right. Well, and I, and kind of speaking of that little origin, I, I thought it was animated so beautifully. It was um, it was Hippolyta basically forming Diana out of clay. And then there's a transformation where the clay just kind of washes away and then there's an actual baby underneath. And and uh, it, it to me, it was... Uh, uh, it was so cool to see them actually embrace the origin uh, of Diana, you know, fully with this. Well, I also like the little, the little touch of you know, Hippolyta slicing her finger and putting the blood on the clay, right. kind of adding that you are my daughter because there is actually a part of me yeah. in you. And uh, with a little, you know, with a little help from Hera kind of blessing it. Yeah. Uh, it, it just, once again, it's just so faithful to the original source material. Mm-hmm. They did not shy away. And th- that's going to come up again where they are just extremely faithful to the the original Wonder Woman stories at so many points in this film. Well, and we did skip past uh, one scene, uh, which we want to do touch on before we kind of get into basically uh, probably even the second half or the second act of this film. But uh, Hippolyta actually, in the battle with, with Ares, she actually ended up killing basically her and his son. Yeah, with, with no pro- with no compunction <laughs> about it whatsoever. Yeah, that was that was a bit shocking to me. I, I was like, am I seeing this right? But sure enough, yeah. Yeah. That, that was that was another I mean that's like what the first five minutes of the movie and it was like the second decapitation that mm-hmm. occurs yeah it's like and it won't be the last yeah well and that was the other one uh, so when you said the second w- there was a scene there where Paula basically got lifted up into the air by this flying creature and then started to fall and then she threw her lasso up and grabbed onto the creature again and she had a purpose she was going to use that creature to get up to where um, where Ares is and as this creature was flying up along this building up towards the rooftop where Ares was she she ends up taking her tiara off and throws it off and decapitates this creature. And Which was super sweet. That was a super sweet move. <laughs> it was I a mean, great move. It, it was almost like a scene. It was almost like a move out of injustice. It's yeah. Like, why doesn't Diana do that? Yeah. Well, and then, and then, you know, the creature had enough momentum to, you know, clear up over the edge of the roof. And uh, you actually see this creature kind of tumble or kind of right towards the camera lens. And uh, this is the one where they probably had to change the scene a little bit because it almost looked like they had a bag over his head or his neck. It oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was. It looked like they definitely cleaned it up a little bit. Well, there's a lot of times where like swords are flying, and you're seeing guys like, oh, yeah. oh, and I bet you they had to digitally go in and like wipe out. I'm sure blood was flying from yeah. all that. Every time someone was like, oh, in front of the camera, I could just see. I'm sure blood was just splashing, and yeah. they had to go digitally and like erase the blood. And so you're getting sliced, but you're not seeing anything. Yeah. All right. Well, Scott. So this is where we actually move into the introduction of Steve Trevor. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, it's it's totally like. Top Gun. Oh yeah, it's it's Maverick. It's Iceman. It's it's you know it's everybody. It's just it's Merlin. It's it's a Top Gun scene. Yeah. I love dogfights. I love fighter pilot movies. And so Steve Trevor going all that. Uh, what's our pucker factor today? <laughs> I'm like pucker factor. Yeah, pucker factor. What is that? Uh, it's the severity of sphincter restriction. <laughs> 
Because they're talking about they're flying in enemy airspace, which I love it because you don't know who the enemy is, nor do you really care. Yeah. They just tell you exactly what you need to know. We are American pilots in enemy airspace, so when we get attacked by enemy aircraft, you don't need to know why yep. we're in enemy airspace. I mean, th- there was just a there was a simplicity to the storytelling where they tell you just enough what you need to know to keep the plot moving. Right. So all you needed to happen was for Trevor to get shot down. Yeah. Yeah. That's really that's really all you need. Well, one thing I I was going to ask you since you are the DC Encyclopedia is he really nicknamed Zipper in the source material? I've never heard that. That okay. never. And to be honest with you, even watching the movie again, I didn't even pick up on that. Oh, you okay. picked up something I didn't pick up on. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so that one kind of threw me for a loop there. But and they and they do a great job of incorporating CGI vehicles. I mean, that's one thing they do very well, and they gotten so much better at it. Is that all these vehicles, these, these fighter jets, are CGI? Yeah. And you can tell they're not traditionally hand drawn animation, but it doesn't scream CGI. Yeah. yeah. Unless you're looking at it and you just see how well they're moving. Yeah. Well, and then we actually, so we're just going to kind of move it on here. So Steve Trevor actually crashes his jet down onto, onto Themyscira. And I love this part where he lands his jet kind of in that little, there's like a little, uh, there's like a little bay at the center of the, of the island. And he runs right into this jungle area and he comes out upon this little, just a little lake. And you just see a bunch of, uh, you know, apparently nude Amazonian women just bathing. And I love the little line where he says, you know, you know, this is just too good to be true. And then all of a sudden a spear just, you know, lands right in front of him uh, against a tree that he was leaning up against. And he goes, and it is. And that's that Nathan Fillion delivery. Yeah. That is why, I mean, he has the best lines Mm -hmm. in this movie. And I bet you they would not be half as good if it wasn't Nathan Fillion delivering them the way he does. Right, right. Exactly. He's got the perfect comedic timing. So. Oh, yeah. Because like at that point, he's running away because he's got an army of angry Amazons chasing him. (laughs) Because yeah. he's a man yeah. on the island, and that just isn't allowed. And of course, Diana has to check it out. And then they get into a fight, which I love the fact that instead of it just being, "Oh, I found a man," it's the first thing they do is they get into like a martial arts fight. Yeah, and I think that's awesome. Of course, he calls him. She, you know, when he first sees her, she's on her horse, and the lights glaring on. Yeah, and then she, and he goes, "An angel," and I love that because then that's his nickname for her for the entire movie, is right. Angel. And then of course he's running around, and he's like, "I've made a hobby out of fleeing chasing women." And it's just once again, it's just the one-liners just keep on coming yeah well and then he th- says this thing you know, like he's really kind of enjoying a little bit of fighting that they're doing and he kind of looks up at her and he goes i think i like you and then she proceeds to then just kick him between the legs and then he goes uh, uh not so much <laughs> oh yeah and then, of course by that point he wakes up and he's tied up and yeah of course um, he's a fighter pilot tied up with a whole bunch of beautiful women and so of course the jokes just keep on coming yeah well he said something about you know he hasn't dreamt about this since he was 13 right yeah. he talks about the kinky stuff yeah and then i love it and and you gotta remember if you haven't seen this movie in a while, Hippolyta puts the lasso of truth around him, so he's mm-hmm. being compelled to answer questions honestly. Yeah, <laughs> and then of course he goes, "This is such crap." <laughs> and although and although Amazon's look at him like, "What does that mean? What is this? What does this mean?" And he's like, "Oh no, oh no!" And then you just see the lasso glowing. Goes, it's another word for excrement. <laughs> and they just all get this disgusted look on their face, like, "Oh, they're so shocked this? by it." Yeah, and I just love it because that just sets up a running theme of him saying, "Oh crap!" throughout yeah. the movie, and everyone and, and Diana always being so offended by it. Yeah. Well, and then she eventually says it herself at one point. Oh yeah, we, and we gotta we can't wait to get to that moment. Yeah. So anyway, um, and then finally, uh, you know, Hippolyta at some point 
just says, you know, he's he's really no danger to us and we need to basically send him back to the man's world. And, and you know, she says that, you know, you know, we need to take him back. And that's where Diana jumps in. She says, you know, I want to be the one to take him back, mother. And you can hear him kind of mumble underneath his breath. Seconded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So at this point in time, he's definitely got a thing for Diana. Oh, yeah. He even has a scene where he's, where he's like, do you have anything else to tell us? Yeah. Your daughter has a nice rack. Yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> once again, it's just the, these little comments that I found hilarious. But I'm like, oh, my God, this is an animated yeah. movie. And of course, all because of the lasso of truth. So uh, lasso of truth. Yeah. Now, this is what comes up after this is really interesting because they just like in Wonder Woman's original appearance in mm-hmm. All-Star Comics number eight from yeah. December 1941, they have what's called the Bullets and Bracelets contest. Mm-hmm. That's supposed to determine who is going to be the most worthy Amazon to uh, take Trevor back to the man's world. And it's incredible that I've gone back and I've read All-Star number eight. Mm-hmm. And the sequence of events and the trials, yeah. they pulled it directly from from that original story. Right. Every trial they show in this film is in that first issue. Yeah, I mean, I love that, you know, call back to the to the original appearance. Uh, you know, I got to tell you, they, so what Scott's describing is they have the two, I guess, finalists in this contest, uh, one of them being Diana and, and her, um, and the other person. I, did they ever say who the other person was? No, it's just, ran, it's just random just, Amazon. Yeah. Anyway, so they have these two archers stand kind of facing the, the two opponents and they just start shooting these arrows at them and they're using their bracelets that just deflect them and every time they go through a round they add two more archers and i gotta tell you just kind of watching this when they threw in and they suddenly had six archers there firing arrows at them it started to make me feel uncomfortable <laughs> like i was just trying to picture oh my god i mean like the the stress you must they must have felt you know but it, well, and it's really weird because in the original story inexplicably they have like tommy guns yeah right <laughs> so in the original story uh from the 40s they're firing tommy guns at them so that's why it's called the bullets and bracelets contest because yeah. yeah. they, they literally are bouncing bullets of course, it makes a lot more sense for them to be firing bows and arrows. Yeah, but yeah, the one the, you know that one girl ends up with an arrow in her shoulder. Yeah, that's uh, gonna hurt. Yeah, it was a great scene. I I thought that was played so well. But oh yes, and once again, just not a lot of talking, just simplicity of just simplicity of images, telling a story visually, and not having to over-explain it. I love that, Scott. You were mentioning something about um, Steve Trevor looking at his flag patch. I didn't really catch that. Can you can you walk me through that? Oh, yeah. Okay. So at the after Diana wins the contest. And of course in, in, in Wonder Woman lore, the reason she wears the costume she does is because you're supposed to wear the colors of the country that you are visiting. It's kind of like a peace offering. Hey, mm-hmm. look, I'm dressed in your colors. I'm showing respect for you. And when she's saying that, it's funny because Steve Trevor's standing there with Artemis and he literally just looks to his left shoulder, sees the American flag patch on his flight suit and just kind of goes, you know, he doesn't say anything but he just looks and kind of shrugs his shoulder like oh <laughs> and it was supposed to be like the little visual of oh that's where you know the Wonder Woman costume comes from yeah. they saw the flag on his shoulder okay. and I don't think I ever caught that Th- that was just such a nice little once again another little visual nod we're not going to explain it mm-hmm. we're just going to put it there and go oh yeah he, he's a soldier he's wearing an American flag that's where the color scheme comes from for Wonder Woman's costume yeah yeah, I totally missed it myself so that was kind of cool I'm, next time I watch it I'll have to keep an eye out for that well and then we got to this part where they're going to head back to 
uh, you know, to take Steve Trevor back. And then suddenly the invisible jet appears and they don't really explain it. Now, I was trying to figure out, okay, is this, is this Steve Trevor's jet? But it's got a different shape than the one that we saw during, you know, the, the fighting sequences. So what are your thoughts on this, Scott? See, I thought, I thought it was his plane. Um, I did notice it was a different shape, but I was wondering if that came from them. Well, he crashed it. So it was going to have to be rebuilt. But he crashed it, but it didn't like break apart. It may have like sunk into the, you know, the little, uh, uh, the Bay Area, but I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, my, my, uh, my headcanon for this has always been, it was a modified version of Trevor's original plane. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, that's what makes the most sense. It just, uh, I was just trying to figure out if they, you know, if, if they were explaining it somewhere in there and I, I didn't really see it at all. Well, no, there is no explanation. And yeah. actually I read an interview that said that Bruce, Tim and Laura Montgomery stated they wrote a scene and maybe even animated a scene that explains the origin of the invisible plane. Uh, but then they realized it doesn't matter. We, we, we don't need it. And it's pseudoscience anyway. So like we're going to bother explaining something that most comic book fans just go, <laughs> yeah, she's got an invisible plane. What about it? Yeah. And why do we need to waste minutes of screen time explaining something that we all know is going to happen anyway? Yeah. So we just all kind of go, yeah, it's an invisible plane. Okay. Yeah, but they could have like kept us from talking about it here. So if they'd have just kept that scene in. <laughs> well, you know so. what? When, when I watched the movie, I just I just rolled with it. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't hear. But yeah. Okay. Well, that's cool. Well, anyway, they then make it back to New York at this point and they land the jet right in the middle of, I don't know, what is it? Uh, I would assume Central Park. Central Park, I would just presume. And uh, there's a there's a small little girl just sitting on a park bench crying to herself. And this was the first kind of like opportunity where we saw, you know, Diana coming in being a teacher. And she taught this little girl to basically uh, learn how to, you know, do this pretend fight. You know, she the little girl was being left out by her playmates who were boys and, and uh, they weren't letting her play along. And Diana came in and goes, no, no, this is how you do it. And she basically taught her to go in and basically right, and stab yeah. him. Yeah. She basically oh. told her now go and unleash hell. So. <laughs> it was so fun, and, and it's the and I liked it because it was kind of that female empowerment message that yeah. I think naturally comes with Wonder Woman, right? Without hitting over the head, like you can get really preachy with that, yeah. And I just felt like that that was a nice little moment because even the little girl says that th- they say that she has to be the damsel in distress, yeah. And Diana's like, no, look at the way they're fighting; it's terrible. They yeah. die instantly. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought they handled it very well because I don't like it when I get preached at in a film. Yeah. But they made it cute and fun and sort of tender. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, eh, yeah, go ahead. This is cool. Yeah. No, it was it was a cool little moment. I, I did like it. Well, and then he actually takes uh, Diana over to, I guess, the headquarters. And uh, they had a couple of little miscellaneous scenes there with Etta Candy. Which was cute, by the way. Yeah. I li- that was a fun scene. Yeah. So Etta Candy obviously has a thing for Steve Trevor. So she was playing this little thing like, hey, Steve, you know, my favorite pen, that's real important to me is underneath this desk and you know i basically need some big strong guy like you to move it and diana just goes um well, why don't you just do it yourself and she lifts up the the desk and grabs the pen one one hand one handed <laughs> one handed lifts up the desk basically cuts her off at the knees <laughs> so it was great well and then actually at this point this is where steve took diana out to a bar which was just yeah. kind of a weird uh, scene but anyway you know this was a chance for them to kind of get to know each other a little bit and kind of talk about different things but steve is obviously trying to get diana drunk <laughs> so and it just is not happening it's not happening happening you know this it's this not alcohol happening. is not gonna affect her and then he's the one that just gets really drunk off his butt oh my god and, and my favorite thing is because once again i love this movie because it's so rich in greek myth- 
mythology references. Yeah. And I know all of them. I've read them all. So it's really funny when they talk about, oh my God, Zeus trying to seduce one of my mother's friends by turning into a <laughs> swan. I'm like, oh my God, I remember that story. Yeah. And then of course, Trevor's there drunk off his butt, you know, and going, hey, have you read Oedipus Rex? Messed up, huh? <laughs> and it's like his attempt to add to the conversation yeah. when he is completely inebriated is hilarious. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, afterwards they, they actually walk out and we have kind of the obligatory, you know, attempted mugging in the alley and so reminiscent of like so many different scenes we've seen in some other DC movies actually, but yeah, it's always like, give us, the, give us the wall. It's always the chance for the hero to finally kind of unleash because these are bad people. Yeah. Which is funny. Bruce Tim is actually the voice of one of the muggers. Yeah. That's, that's what you're telling me. I, I didn't really catch that until you mentioned that. Oh yeah. Bruce Tim and Andrea Romano almost always have at least one voice cameo in all of their movies. Yeah. Kind of like the Hitchcock, but with actual voice detail. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then of course, the you know, and we have mugging and bullets and bracelets and all of this. And then of course, after you fight the, after the, after the quote girl kicks the muggers butts, you know, the guy has to feel like he's got to be a big deal. So they hear a voice and then it turns out to be like this giant mythological creature. Yeah. And Steve's like, never mind. Yeah. And once again, we get into another amazing fight, which ironically, the first thing she does though, is take her shoes off. Yeah. <laughs> which I thought was a great detail. I felt like if you're going to have a woman fight, she's not going to be wearing the heels. Mm-hmm. She's going to go in barefooted and then, you know, and then just go at it. Which, right. once again, it's it's that, I think this is that Lauren Montgomery detail mm-hmm. where she kind of, she's a storyboarder. And so she's pointing out those details to make sure that stuff just makes sense in the mm-hmm. films. And I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, and then it's just like the whole thing, was it Demos or I think was the... Uh, Demios. Demios. Okay. Now, so Demios was actually sent by Ares, right? So this was kind of like the first um, kind of like real uh, exposure to, you know, Ares' actions over in the man's world, I guess, at this point. Yeah, because we skipped the whole part where Ares actually breaks free from his prison on the island. Which, yeah. You know, because once again, I, we think Ares is going to be the bad guy in uh, the live action movie as well. Mm-hmm. So this just kind of shows a great, you know, how do you use Ares well yeah. in the story? Because there's an Ares in the Marvel universe and there's an Ares in the DC universe, and I feel like the way that they depict him in this movie with him feeding off the psychic energy of violence and pain mm-hmm. is a great way of kind of the, you know, the cliche of gods. Gods get power from people's belief, mm-hmm. and I never really, I, I always found that to be kind of a cheap explanation, but this movie just did it so well, like anger and violence and war generates an emotional energy that as the god of war, he's just able to feed off of yeah and it worked for me yeah yeah definitely worked for me too now you, you mentioned you know, we kind of did gloss over how Ares got out I feel like we should actually touch on that because there's some really just something that really threw me for a loop in it when he actually uh, broke free from jail what was it well okay so like um, so Ares was had been locked up on the island and that was like one of the thing one of the arrangements that was made with uh, Hippolyta with Zeus and Hera was that they you know she could not kill Ares and so they put on these little bracelets that basically neutered him so that he couldn't basically feed off of any of the the power he was getting from wars things like that so they had him locked up in a jail well he had been there for like apparently centuries and he had basically coerced seduced i think would be a better yes yes he basically seduced uh persephone into basically betraying her sisters and letting him out of jail 
And it was such a brutal scene. Like she actually did this by, um, you know, just placing a sword right through Alexa's, you know, body. Right, which is kind of a weird callback because Alexa technically is the reason she has this giant glaring scar yeah. across her face. Yeah, so I'm sure I'm sure um, Ares used that to his advantage to basically coerce her into doing this. But it was such a, I don't know, how did you feel about that scene? That one really hit me hard. Well, you know, you... <sighs> It's one of those things that watching the movie again today, I know she died. Or did I know? It's still like if you haven't seen the movie in a while, you know something's about to happen, Mm -hmm. but you still don't see the impalement coming until it happens. And you're like, ow! Yeah. Really? And and it's not just like you hear the noise. No, you see the blade through her. Yeah. Once again, going back to the fact that this animated movie did not pull any punches. Right. And it still shocked me today. Mm -hmm. You know, six years later, I'm still like, ow! Whoa. And then she's just so sad because, once again, you remember, she's the bookworm. Right. You know, it's like, oh, did she really do anything to you? Exactly. Well, and then they, they kind of show it from her point of view. Uh, laying oh, down. God. Oh, yeah. this, is, this is the one where it really actually got me. So, it, you know, it's kind of like a worm's eye view because she's on the ground. You know, she's dying and she's looking up towards the jail cell and she sees, you know, Aries walking right out. And, you know, her vision is just blurry. So, like, the actual, um, the actual animation just kind of blurs up a little bit and it's just kind of saying that she's fading out. And to me, it was like so kind of tragic and then you actually I think this is where Ares actually came down and he kind of finished her off by strangling her and again you just saw her the vision kind of like getting blurry and then just finally blacking out so well she didn't even strangle her he just put her hand over her mouth and you know suffocated her I mean it, okay it, it was suffocation right he just yeah. said it was suffocation and it's like oh dude really yeah it, it just it just adds to the evilness of the scene yeah Ooh. yeah it made you made you dislike this guy even more but man it's just like I, I I'm just like stunned at this actually being in the animated film but yeah I mean it's just it's I, I look at this and I'm and this is like the kind of like emotional kind of like event that I would have expected seeing in an actual cinematic film well and and once again that that's the power of this animated movie this Wonder yeah. Woman movie is fantastic because you're watching these animated figures and you are having visceral emotional responses to when characters die which is great writing because it like they made you care yeah they made you care when these people die yeah and that's and that's what I found so unexpected about this film. And in fact, I had seen it when it first came out and I haven't watched it in several years. And so I just watched it prior to uh, recording this episode again. And uh, and I had forgotten um, all the sequence of events of what happened with Alexa. And so it was quite stunning, this whole this whole scene. Yeah. And of course, the whole deal with these bracelets is that a- only a god can remove them. Yeah. So, you know, then Ares has to go for the on, on the search for, well, who's a god who's accessible, <laughs> who would be willing to do something, you know, against Zeus's commands? Right. And well, the most accessible one he's got is Hades. Yeah. So it's it's kind of weird because they because Ares actually goes down into Tartarus um, after sacrificing one of his own men, like stabbing him and watching the blood drain out of him to mm-hmm. open a gate. And and I gotta tell you, Tim, I was not expecting the Hades that we got in this film. Yeah. Uh, I am. He was a a glutton. Yeah. I, I think that's the best way to describe it. I mean, and and Oliver Platt, who does is who did the voice of Hades. He's a larger man himself, yeah. but I've never seen Hades depicted in that way. And I was still trying to figure out what inspired that. Now, mm-hmm. I have not actually gone back and read the George Perez run. Is Hades in that George 
Perez run, is that based on a George Perez design or is that something original for the film? Yeah, so now that's something I can't actually remember. So I'm real curious. I'm going to go back and look at it myself to see this. But, you know, it threw me for a loop as well. I had to actually, I put on the subtitles to confirm that it was actually Hades that we, he was meeting with. And because, uh, yeah, I was, I was, I've never seen Hades depicted like that as well. Yeah, and, and Hades makes sense because if, if, if you know your Greek mythology, you know, there were three brothers. There was Zeus, Poseidon, and Hades, and they basically drew straws, and Hades drew the short straw. And that's the only reason that he became the god of the underworld was because, oh, well, he just, he got a bad lot. Yeah. And so he's always had a chip on his shoulder uh, for Zeus, which makes him the perfect character to be the one to go, sure, Ares, I'll go against my brother and, you know, release you so you can go, you know, wreak yeah. havoc on Earth. Yeah, so I don't know. It was interesting. I will go back and let you know at that Perez run. Okay. If he was actually depicted like that. Well, and it's so weird because this movie just moves so fast. Yeah. I mean, almost like all of these animated films, they have about a 74, 75 minute runtime, mm-hmm. uh, which means like we get to this scene where Ares gets his bracelets off and we're already into the final act of the film. Yeah. I mean, this thing just this thing just did not waste time. It kept moving and there was so much action and good writing. Yeah. It just, I mean, because by the end, we're in Washington, D.C. and we got another one of those 300 level mythological battlefield, like Clash of the Titans going on yeah. on the National Mall. Yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, Ares is standing right up there on the Lincoln Memorial and you just see the sea of uh, warriors just at, you know, in Washington, D.C., just along the mall. Um, and you, there's no explanation about how they got there. You just see these American soldiers kind of up on a hill. And, and I'm trying to think. I don't think there's any hills over there. I was just in D.C. And well, there's hills in, well, Ar- Arlington's on a hill, but you know. Yeah, but that's across, that's across the river. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, so they're just kind of like looking down with their gun sights. They're trying to figure out what's going on. Who are these people? You know, and, uh, you know, the U.S. Army is ready to go to battle, but they don't quite know what they're facing yet at this point. And, but uh, yeah, it, like you said, man, this thing just jumped right into the scene. And there's really not a whole lot of explanation about what's going on, but you don't really need a whole lot. You know that something's about ready to go down. Yeah, and I still love it. Like, they're, they're desecrating the, the Lincoln Memorial, and you just hear Trevor go, Yeah. They're messing with Lincoln. <laughs> Nobody messes with Lincoln. Right. Yeah, that was like the straw that finally broke the camel's back for him. <laughs> it's like it, it's like the red-blooded American going, Oh, no. Oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> yeah, so. And, you know, and then we get, you know, an M, you know, you've got Diana and Trevor with Ares Army, and then the next thing you know, you know, uh, Amazonian Armada is sailing up the Potomac, mm-hmm. and it's just a knockout drag out. And yeah. we're talking, you know, people complain about the destruction in Metropolis at the end of Man of Steel. What do you think what they do to Washington, <laughs> D.C. in this movie? Yeah. Well, even Diana, like she was in the battle with Ares at some point and she knocked him back into the Washington Monument. Then he bounced off of that and then landed, I think it was into the Capitol. And then and then they end up in the World War II Memorial. Yeah. They're at the World War II Memorial. And then at some point they're actually battling on top of the White House. And yeah. And the White House is getting messed <laughs> up. I'm yep. surprised. I think even by the end, the White House isn't even standing anymore. Yeah, I mean, it looked like it was on fire. At least part of it was kind of brashed down and I think on fire. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's kind of crazy. There was so much going on in that that whole that whole scene. Yeah, and then it kind of reveals the whole point is that he want he's, because of his influence, he kind of, you know, he his power of war influences the President of the United States to launch a nuclear warhead yep. at Themyscira. And of course, as the, the pseudo explanation is the, the act of firing a nuclear warhead is just enough violence and hatred that he just gets leveled up. Yeah. It's like a boss fight in a video game where he finally just maxes out. And then Diana has this great moment where she just looks at him and just goes, oh crap. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that's where she understood the use of the word crap. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, it was just uh, real intense. But then you get this really kind of, I, I think you really get this big payoff moment between Persephone and Alexa where... Um, What's between Artemis and Alexa? Oh, yeah, Artemis and Alexa, right. And it was actually where um, I think at this point, Ares had actually raised up deceased Amazonian women and raised them up basically from the dead as his soldiers. And so one of them being uh, Alexa. So she's battling Artemis. Well, she's kicking Artemis's tail, which is not, which is totally against her character, like because she's being controlled by, you know, Ares. But she's quote, she's she's saying this either Greek or Latin phrase over and over again. Oh, right. Yeah. And, and Artemis is like, what the what are you saying? Until it finally clicks to Artemis that this isn't this is Alexa talking. Yeah. This isn't, you know, undead zombie Amazonian talking. Yeah. Well, and this is where Alexa, her most important trait was that she was kind of a scholar that she liked to read. She was a bookworm and and she knew all the ancient uh, mythologies and all that. And so this was actually basically a spell of some sort, right? That released the undead. Yeah, it, it, it was a spell that rever- reversed, reversed, sort of, it. reversed compulsion. Like right. he, he couldn't compel them to do something against their will anymore Yeah, because she knew the spell. She couldn't cast it on herself, but she could still communicate it to someone else. So as long as they said it, it would have the effect. Yeah. And so then when Artemis actually voiced the same words and that's when it finally broke the spell. And uh, there's a real touching moment where it was basically her her last moment with Artemis. And they actually all kind of faded away at this point. I can't remember what precipitated it, but... Well, it's because once once all the Amazonians were free, they charge against Ares, and Ares just waves his hand. And, and that's when he finally, okay, he dismissed them, basically. He dismissed so, them, yeah. and then that's just this tender moment between Artemis and Alexa, where the two finally found mutual respect for each other, because it's kind of like Alexa's bookwormness kind of saved the day, but yet in death, she finally found the courage to be the warrior right. that Artemis always demanded her to be. Right, right. Which was once again, it was that it was that mutual acceptance where they elect uh, Artemis realized Alexa had value as a bookworm. Yeah. But Alexa also found that that Amazon warrior woman inside of her in death. Right, right. It was it was a beautiful moment. It kind of yeah. kind of makes you tear up a little bit. Yeah. So anyway, so at this point we get real close to just kind of closing us off. You know, it, it, and just characters just start to kind of they get to have their moments. Like that's the beauty of this is like yeah. you're in this big battle, but every character gets a little payoff. You mm-hmm. know, Diana's saving the day. Steve is flying the invisible plane to stay to stop the nuclear missile from blowing up Thermoscura. So like even he as the supporting character gets kind of a, a hero moment, which is really funny because he like tries to shoot down the <laughs> shoot down yeah. the nuclear warhead and nothing's happening until it finally blows up. And then as he's flying away, he just goes, Invisible uh, missiles. That's why I can Party freaking hard. Yeah. And even and even Persephone, who's kind of our our bad guy, gets this beautiful moment as she gets killed by Hippolyta that basically explains why she did what she did. Mm-hmm. And just this idea that Hippolyta has just kind of forced everyone against their will to be on this island. And she's like, but we're women, too. We're stuck on this island and we have no family. Mm-hmm. We can't love. And that was basically her motivation for helping Ares because she found a man that she could possibly maybe be with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That would get her away from this sort of monk-like life that yeah. she was stuck on on Thermoscara. Yeah, so I don't know. A great film. I mean, it, it, it basically ends in the end. Uh, Diana finally gets a chance to be with Steve Trevor. And uh, there was a part where she actually had a little bit of blood on her face. And, you know, she went up to go kiss uh, Steve Trevor. And, you know, she wiped off the blood right before she kissed him. Which is a great, another great character moment. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> sorry about that part. <laughs> sorry about that blood. Yeah. And then it just ends with, you know, she gets her mom's blessing. They 
be on man's island and then on man's world and then they're they're living their life and you even get a little cameo by cheetah yeah at the end that was the great part i mean it was kind of like so this whole thing was just the epic journey of how she ended up kind of like staying in man's world but then just a great little scene there i think they're hailing a cab or something and all of a sudden they hear it looked like a bank was being robbed and uh that's where we actually see cheetah so a classic classic wonder woman uh villain and uh she's like okay well i'm gonna go take care of this <laughs> and steve's the one going well if you're gonna be late let me know i don't want the food to get cold <laughs> that's right yeah so there's that great sort of gender swap gender there. swap yeah and then that's the first time we hear her called wonder woman she's never called wonder woman the entire film right but as she's like running to the scene that that little the girl, little girl. From, is a look it's wonder woman and then of course the final shot of the film is her like throwing a punch into the camera as yeah. she's as she's you know supposedly knocking out cheetah and oh my god it just left me wanting more yeah that definitely the whole cheetah sequence it was just like it was like oh i want to see more of this fight more of the story i want to wonder i was like i want a wonder woman too yeah yeah i want a sequel to this film well we might get that you know i mean i don't know what uh i, I haven't heard of any any like kind of uh, sequel of any sort kind of plan i mean i guess right now they're trying to focus more on the kind of the new 52 continuity but yeah this was a great film i i really enjoyed it and um i'm gonna go back and watch it again just to there's so much you know things move so fast and there's so many little details in there that you could miss because they move along the action so quickly here that i want to go back and watch it again and try to catch everything but i mean but it moves quickly but in a good way as in it just kept the pace going and it yeah. was just it was, i i remember i mean for the last seven years people have always said that if they ever make a another wonder if they ever made a live action wonder woman movie i mean this movie was the template yeah, right this movie is what a wonder woman movie can and should be so i'm very interested with the dceu picking up where they go what is gal gadot's solo film going to be like because i've got to be completely honest i am not going to be an unbiased observer <laughs> i'm going to go in with kind of this film as my watermark mm-hmm. of what i expect from a solo wonder woman movie which yeah. seems kind of ridiculous that a 70 minute animated movie is like my my standard but it is because this is such a fantastic film yeah and if you're a wonder woman fan and you've not seen this movie go get it go rent it go watch it buy it it is it is an amazing movie yeah. and i just last year got my wife to watch it who's a big wonder woman fan but has never seen this movie and she sat back and went that was pretty cool yeah and it even sold her on the on the film so yeah well and in fact the rumors that we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago it was basically kind of this plot line more or less yeah uh, so and we're talking about the rumors to the actual uh, the actual film that's being filmed right now yes that that that's that Ares needs something to power up yeah because I mean, it's pretty much confirmed is it confirmed or is it still just rumor that Ares is the central villain of Gal Gadot's movie? it's not confirmed it's all okay. it's all rumors at this point so anyway well that was uh that was a lot of fun and uh so we'll probably do a couple more of these uh this is a, gonna be a real busy time of the year for us and also for Scott who's got you know his family's gonna be growing here pretty soon so yeah I got I have another son on the way yep so so congratulations on that so um it's gonna be very busy and you know the suicide squad cast uh doesn't have the best uh company benefits <laughs> It doesn't have the best employee benefits. Uh, so, you know, we'll see what we can do here. But we'll try not to overwork Scott during those real busy times. So we'll try to do some of these fill-in episodes. Well, and we hope, and what we're interested in knowing is, what were your favorites of these DC direct-to-video movies? Yeah. What, what, which films would you like? Would you particularly like to hear us talk about? Because Tim and I have our favorites. Mm-hmm. We've already discussed our favorites. Yeah. But we're interested to know, which ones do you like? Yeah. What, what are your thoughts on these films? And, you know, who knows? Maybe those thoughts might show up 
up on a later episode. You never know. Yep. All right, guys. Well, hey, man, that's it for this week's podcast. And we just, first of all, want to thank you so much for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this discussion about the Wonder Woman film. And yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And, and like I was just saying, we want to hear from you. So if there's any news you want us to talk about, if there are any thoughts you'd like us to share, if there are any particular of these films that you are particularly interested in hearing what Tim and I have to say about, please let us know. So Tim, where can they find us to tell us these things? Yeah, the quickest way you can reach us is to reach out to us at on Twitter at Suicide Squadcast. And if you want to reach me individually, you can reach me at, at Alan Fire. Scott, where can they find you? And as always, you can find me at ScottDC27. I have a really sweet red hood image now that, you know, <laughs> you can you can check out and you'll know it's me. Yep. You can also find us at Suicide Squadcast at gmail.com. And people will tell you if you talk to other listeners, we respond to your tweets, we respond to your emails. We are fans. You are fans. We want the conversation to continue. So right. please do not hesitate to reach out to us because we all want to geek out together. Yep. And so we've got a lot of new listeners lately. We don't know how you found us, but you know, please make sure you subscribe to us if you're enjoying the show. Now, there's a lot of ways you can do it. You can do it through iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Overcast, which is becoming quite popular lately. There's also Satchel Player. Uh, Google Play Music is starting up very soon here. We also have an RSS feed. You can use that to subscribe to us pretty much with any service. Uh, you could even subscribe through uh, Microsoft Outlook if you wanted with the RSS feed. And please subscribe because we never want you to miss an episode. Yep. And then also, if you're enjoying us, please review us. We love hearing what you guys love about our show because whatever you love about us, we want to make sure that we keep on doing that. Especially if you do so on iTunes. If you leave us a five-star written review, we will actually enter you into a contest and you'll have a one in 10 chance to win something. Uh, as of right now, we've had three reviews since our last episode and we're going to actually save those for the next episode where I can have Scott on show again and uh, so go ahead and leave us those reviews and uh, we're about ready to announce a winner for our third contest we just need a couple more entries so well once again guys thank you so much for joining us again this week we will continue to put out weekly content and future Tim will make sure that whenever we have to do these kind of shows you will get the most up to date news possible but as for this week I think it's time for us to say toodaloo that's it guys thanks again I hope you had a wonderful Christmas and holidays with you and your family and uh, don't forget uh, a week from now we will be presenting our listener question and answer show so we will be debuting that it'll be the very first show of the new year so anyway we will see you guys then take it easy Yeah, so we hope you guys uh, enjoyed us kind of recapping Wonder Woman here. And uh, hey, Tim, uh, yeah, this is actually Tim of the future. And you know what? There cannot be two Tims. Um, well, actually, we're kind of one in the same. No, there can only be one Tim. And in this case, it will be future Tim.
Um, sorry, I'm dealing with a cat right now who is trying to get into my mic. I don't know if you're hearing her. Actually, I'm not. 